Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to help you scale from 2 million ARR to 100 million ARR. Today, we have a very special guest. Her name is Alison Murdoch, a global marketing executive who has been representing social chorus, virtual analytics, and another fastest growing companies. Uh, Alison, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. It's, it's really a pleasure and your career, it's, it's amazing. So let's get to know a little bit more about yourself and um, yeah, what, what, have you, what have you been doing and what's your next challenges at? Yeah, so um, I've been a chief marketing officer most recently at Social Chorus, um, a very cool company, workforce communications platform that helps really large enterprises scale and manage their internal communications. Um, and um, I am now um, moving on to my next role to be announced soon, um, based in San Francisco. And I, but I've worked in Silicon Valley for over 20 years and also uh, done business in Europe and Asia um, with startups, growth stage companies, and media companies. Um, and I've also been an entrepreneur, which is um, always brings um, a little bit of a flair to the work I do. Um, and day to day, um, currently I'm advising companies at various stages on their marketing strategy. Um, but my nighttime job is a mom to two kids, a college kid <laughs> and a teenager who's graduating. And also I'm a huge supporter of the arts and music. I started a fundraiser called Silicon Valley Rocks, which is actually really well known now. It, it brings in um, tech executives who happen to play music, think Brandy Zuckerberg or Drew Houston from Dropbox or Tim Chang, um, and it supports music education. And, and I'm also sitting on the board of Blue Bear School of Music. And what do you know, I'm also in a band. I play bass guitar <laughs> in a band called The Violent wow. Tendencies. So I have a full life besides work and, and, having, and having a great time. That's awesome. I was writing it down because it's it's really amazing what you how how do you find so many time on your day? <laughs> you know, I it's I I'm kind of a, a productivity kind of I wouldn't not a guru but a, somebody a student. I, I like to right. try to figure out the best way to um, get the most out of my day um, and. I actually met these um, amazing neuroscientists from Berkeley, um, uh, what Sahar and Lucas, uh, last year at Social Chorus, and they really taught us how to think about your work. Um, are you doing the right things? What are you doing now? Could someone else do your work? So it sort mm -hmm. of changed everything because I wanted to leave time in my life to pursue passion projects like music and of course, support my family, um, but also have the time to engage with people and learn. And and because if you're not learning, you're like, what are you doing, right? So right. Um, just working all the time time is, you know, at the stage in, where I'm at in my career, it's not as um, as all consuming as it used to be. Um, so I, I'm That's just so relentless nice. about my prioritizing and and not spending too much time on things that um, aren't really worth the time. That's great. And um, so in, in the podcast, we always discuss three critical ingredients to scale from 2 million to 100 million. And mm -hmm. number one is uh, world-class leadership or team. Mm -hmm. Number two mm -hmm. is radical focus uh, related with OKRs. And number mm -hmm. three is the contrarian culture of execution. Mm 
And mm -hmm. we, we always discuss that in order to go from the two to 100 million, uh, we need to manage uh, seven companies or, or more. We need to have mm -hmm. seven different C CEOs, seven mm -hmm. different leadership teams, which means also seven different um, CMOs. And mm. we, we, we have been discussing in the past in our conversations uh, how important is to bring a CMO early on on your on your growth uh, trajectory with with your with your company? And when do you think is the right time to bring a CMO? Uh, and what kind of CMO should a CEO bring in uh, to to according to the stage of growth? Well, I think the, the correct response largely depends on the size of the company and where they are in their life cycle. So if you can assume, if you take a, a early stage startup that has a, a product market fit to some degree, um, what you would want is a few people in marketing that are keeping the lights on, keeping the website live, you know, doing social media, putting some thought leadership, you know, and it doesn't have to have a CMO, it just has to have people um, right. in the company doing some of the marketing tasks. And frankly, that then when they're starting to get some traction and the sales team is needing more than just a few people in the field calling customers, that's when the it's the right time to bring in a marketing leader. Um, it's so also, let's assume, uh, and sorry to interrupt, Alison, yeah, a, a little yeah. bit um, over one, one million ARR and... Uh, and okay. Post Series A, I would say, right? Oh, okay. So or, a little or even before. One, one million. Okay, yeah, sure. That um, you're, you know, over one million ARR, you're getting, you're growing quickly, and many companies at this stage um, are, you know, doubling, tripling in revenues. This yep. is the time that I believe it's important to bring in a marketing right. leader. Whether or not it's a CMO is somewhat irrelevant. You just need someone leading the strategy. Um, exactly. I, I really, I see a lot of companies that wait too long um, before they hire anyone in marketing or any leadership, and then mm -hmm. that leader has to spend a year cleaning up messes. Um, today, marketing is, is so different. I mean, it used to be that we just had sort of brand campaigns and generating leads. And there was, there were sort of some, you know, looking through phone books or things, you know, or pulling things from a database and just throw things, throwing them over the fence. And that's absolutely not what marketing is today. It's an incredibly sophisticated domain. And also given the emergence of SaaS businesses, marketing is in everything. And I, I, I firmly believe that CEOs and other uh, leaders inside startups haven't really fully comprehend the breadth of marketing. And, and the reason why I believe this is I've been asked to give talks all of last year about how do you combine brand and demand? And what I mean by that is brand is what it feels like to do business with you. And it could be at a customer success level. It could be at does your website have the right information? What is your pricing page? There's so many sort of things that are not about just mm -hmm. generating leads that are important to have. And then, of course, there's the whole um, pipeline and revenue marketing side of things, which is also an immense field. Um, it, there's a whole science behind running integrated campaigns and tracking their progress and so forth. So if you've waited and you have none of that in place, your sales team is literally sort of hoping they're getting it right. I mean, not that they're good salespeople and they're not trained. It's just that marketing means 
priming the market for you and your products. And I just, I, I think there's a lot of education um, and I'll probably keep giving this talk for the next three years about what marketing should be doing and, and it can change depending on the stage and what's happening with the company, but that waiting is a mistake. Absolutely. And uh, I can validate what you are saying. I work with a lot of uh, SaaS CEOs and uh, unfortunately, a lot of them have this temptation of saying that they are a sales-led organization and marketing will not move the needle uh, in the short term. So they, they should bet much more on, on sales. And then you have this lack of balance between marketing and, and sales in the organization. And especially when, when channels start to, to face a, a wall in terms of, of growth. There is nothing on that is already preparing the next stage of growth. And I think that marketing on the mid and long term can have a, a huge impact. Right. Yeah, I've recently, there's been a couple of companies I, I've talked to recently um, and I've, and they are, you know, sales led, uh, meaning that they had one person in marketing that was a product marketer. And I started noticing that the people that were very active um, on, for example, LinkedIn talking about their products were salespeople. And I'm thinking, is that the best use of a salesperson's time? Not that they shouldn't right. be on LinkedIn, but they were actually doing the marketing. And I thought, you know what, if you only have eight hours in the day, <laughs> listen, you probably have more than that. But like, is that, shouldn't they be with customers? Shouldn't they be calling? Shouldn't they be in meetings? No, instead, this person's on social and writing content and organizing events. And you know what, That's, that, that sounds really tactical, but honestly, someone has got to be a steward of the brand and a steward of developing the market. And that was what marketing's function is. And so this particular company is doing phenomenally and they're just scrambling because they, they're way late on marketing and um, they're, it's, it's just impacting their growth. It's starting to impact their growth because the sales team is, is getting pretty burned out. Um, they're asked to do everything. So I, I feel like in today's world that the optimal situation is that marketing manages anything external and is in charge of the strategy to raise the profile of the company, to put the company in front of the right buyers and to make sure that the journey is understood by everyone at the company. And, and that linkage with sales is critical. In fact, there's a new role that I see emerging now, which is a third party. And it's almost mm -hmm. like the referee between sales and marketing. It's, you know, I won't go into it, but there's all you know, a million <laughs> pieces of content about the, the interaction between sales and marketing not being the most positive <laughs> thing. But this, there are a couple of core groups in the middle that do either sales enablement of sorts, but business analytics, meaning, okay, where did this particular lead come from, for example, and how did it make it to sales? And are the things that are being done by marketing to encourage this lead to educate them, um, are they the right things? Are they, are they cost effective? Are they working? And marketing can do all that. Marketing does do all that. But, but the problem is sometimes the rest of the company doesn't understand what the numbers look like. It's like saying, how many users are using our product? And if you just take product's word for it, well, you don't know. So that's why you're using Pendo and Amplitude and all these analytics platforms to actually show usage. Same thing with marketing, but those numbers haven't been as exposed. Um, and sales can only say, hey, did we close the deal or not close the deal? But what about everything before that? 
So I believe that this sort of third party will emerge, whether marketing owns it or sales owns it, or it's, a, it's under the COO, who knows? But I feel like that's a very positive practice because everyone should be operating off the same numbers. End mm -hmm. of story. And uh, even related with uh, having this world-class leadership team and this leadership team um, suitable for each stage of growth, we see nowadays the emergence of uh, the chief revenue officer as the person mm -hmm. responsible to combine marketing, sales, customer success, product, uh, and we see the, the COO going much more to the operations side mm -hmm. uh, of, of the business. Uh, how, how do you see the importance of the chief revenue officers um, coming coming in place to align? Yeah, I mean, to align, I think, you know, most of the companies that I've worked in or worked with, um, the CRO is really um, a, just a bigger title for sales. They haven't owned marketing um, unless there was absolutely no marketing team or a very junior marketing team. And, and you know, CRO, you know, in the SaaS business, CRO owns not only net new business, but also recurring and upsells and resells. And par part of what the customer success team might also be responsible for, but they're responsible for any money coming in, maybe even services, right? So, um, so I, I think it's too much for a CRO to own um, marketing because it's not a it's revenue, it's not cost. Marketing mm -hmm. is cost, but marketing is responsible for generating, and I think a good benchmark is 30% of pipeline. And you know, I, right. I, that's what we measured ourselves on. Um, for example, you know, what we, we knew exactly what channels were likely to have um, an impact on revenue. We knew that webinars, content, and events were like, that, that's it. Advertising, eh you know, top of funnel, great. Eventually those people will convert and we track that lifetime, but or that customer lifetime and journey. But um, honestly, you know, the revenue officer really should keep focus on what is bringing money into the company. Yeah. So let's move to the second critical ingredient to scale, uh, what we like to call radical focus. We know that a lot of those companies have a lot of temptation to go to, a, again, using again the same word, a lot of geos, verticals, go for mm -hmm. small business, mid-size, enterprise, and not having the courage to say no, uh, as we were discussing with, with time in the beginning of the podcast. So how do you ensure that your teams are super focused uh, when discussing strategy and defining OKRs? Yeah, I, I think there's a two parts to that. I think just starting with um, what are your OKRs? What are your KPIs and metrics that you need to look at? And I, I think the companies, you know, they, they get, they don't do a great job with this sometimes. And I, I think part of that is because things are moving so quickly at a fast growing company that departments tend to get siloed. So product has their own KPIs, marketing, sales, et cetera. Obviously sales has a number. Um, mm -hmm. And unless you have a very strong leader and CEO, um, it's, it can be difficult for everyone to be on the same page. They say, oh, we need to make this number, but how they get there is not as well defined. And I've seen this a lot and I've experienced mm -hmm. a lot and it, and it's, it's, it's something that with a little bit of process um, and a little bit of time, you can do better. So for example, um, what I recommend um, is doing what I call the big think, which is an annual process. And you have a number on your head, sure. But the question is, how will you get there this year? 
and and what are you planning for in the next two to three years? Um, it's nice. uh, it's always shocking to me that companies never really want to talk about their exit strategy. I mean, it's sort of like not okay to say, we're going all the way, you know, instead of saying we could get acquired for a lot of money, or I do think we could IPO. And I, we see that like, they'll say they're going to IPO just to get people excited about staying. But honestly, like it's, it's not going to happen for most companies. So I don't think it's a bad idea to look at scenarios and say, well, if we are going to IPO, what do we need to do now? So for example, we talked about pricing for a second. Um, this many, many, many SaaS companies struggle with this. They don't know how to get the price right. They don't know, should mm -hmm. we be selling to enterprise or mid-market or should we have a free right. trial? Like to your point, right? So, so the question is, where do we, where are, where do we think we're going? If we think we're going to be acquired by a giant company, what do we have to do to acquire more logos. If we just focus on 120 enterprise companies, we're like a service company. We're not making money. We're not creating a category, really. We're just saying, we're just, you know, charging a lot of money and beating people over the head until they buy, you know? So I think it's got, this big thing, you know, really has to be about where are we going and what are the steps that each department needs to make in order to get there. What does marketing need to do? What does product need to do? What does CS need to do? You know, customer success, what does sales need to do? And that is your milestone. Now, then there's what you're doing next year. Those are your OKRs, your KPIs you're setting. Marketing often is like, we need 500 MQLs, marketing qualified leads. So mm -hmm. what? Is sales gonna convert them? What, who are these people? So you've got to put some rigor in your planning before you can even set your goals. And then once you set your goals, it's very important to put them where everyone can see them. Everyone needs to be reminded about to, you know, what you had committed to. So um, I found personally, sometimes in marketing, we have so much to do. We forget to tell everybody what we're doing and why we're doing it. How does that ladder up to our strategy? So if you are going to grow and you're going to not spend time on the wrong things, you have to remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean you can't change. There are times where mm -hmm. something happens in your market, a competitor gets bought, a competitor comes out with a new product, or um, there's a major, there's a trade war. Like I've been in businesses where the Chinese trade war impacted our customers, which impacted our business. So you don't really know what could happen. And it's obviously okay to change, but you've done your, what's going to happen in three years and you can calibrate um, what's the external factors with your plan and see if you're still doing the right stuff. So a lot, so we, it was so interesting also being at a company that helped people communicate internally to learn the value of having these conversations with your team, keeping everyone focused. Um, you know, last thing on this point, I worked at a company mm -hmm. many, many years ago, mm -hmm. and the company was actually um, got acquired by, um, oddly, SoftBank, when nobody knew what SoftBank was. <laughs> and uh, our CEO at the time said, look, we need to hit this revenue goal. Like this is, if we hit revenue goal A, 
we get to go all go to Hawaii and it's all expenses paid. We hit revenue goal B, we go to Tahoe, like Tahoe, we it's all expenses paid. And everybody was so focused, you know, saving paper clips and, you know, <laughs> hustling for meetings. And we, we, we did, we made revenue goal B, sadly not A, but I, it was the simplest thing that got everyone focused because we had to make that number and everyone did their part to get there. And we had to think through, how would we get there? So I, I just think, you know, that's, that's the internal communication part, but the external facing part is that you, your people aren't wasting time. They're, they're moving towards goals and they're mindful of how they're doing business um, with customers to get to that point. Amazing. I, I love it to, to hear that, Alison, and uh, <laughs> because I always face this with companies as well, which is uh, when I start discussing what looks like the free and 10 year VAG, they look mm. to me and say, we don't know if we'll get to the next round. So, so we don't know if we'll be here in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, don't you think it's, it's too much to, to think about it? I, I completely agree with you that uh, we also need to start from the end and it might be the exit strategy and mm -hmm. come to the present. And usually the midterm, that free year milestone that you are talking about is, uh, is missing. And even mm -hmm. if we are able to go to the imagine that we are in, in, in series A with 1 million, mm -hmm. 2 million ARR, if we get to 5 million, we need to present a plan to get to 10 million to series B or yeah. and then to series C. So, and even That's if we right. get to series C, we need to present a plan how to get to 20 and 50 million ARR. So we need to be thinking at least the second, uh, the, the next two cycles of, of growth yeah. uh, of the company. Because if we start thinking today, beginning of the year on the revenues target that we want to achieve this year, it's too late uh, if, we, if we want to double or triple every single year. Uh, and That's I, right. And that's why I love your approach of the um, of the free year, uh, the big thing exercise. I enjoy the name as well. <laughs> the big thing, yeah. I mean, it's you know taking time out of the office to really like, what do we want to be? It's you know, it's like there's that kind of woo woo, you know, vision board and stuff. And that's not really what I'm saying, but but it is a little bit like that. Like even if your strategy, even if you don't end up getting to where you go, you got to think about it because it it really motivates people. They're they're you know that that was the thing. It really motivates people to think we could be this, you know, we could be bigger. We, this, you know, Clayton Christensen, Christensen just passed away recently and, you yep. know, he was very famous for disruptive innovation. And the theory is that technology could disrupt a giant. And I completely believe in that. I have been at companies that they're so tiny that really put much larger companies on their toes because of the technology we had. And we knew that we had that advantage and we used it. I mean, we use that advantage to get customers that we never thought we could win because we just were better. And, you know, so I, I think it's, it's really important that people in inside your company understand that. And, um, and I think VCs too, when you go to get your next round, it's the most distracting thing for a CEO to go out and have to look for funding. And if you've already done your vision and you've already got, you know, aligned your team along that and you can explain why your CAC is so high or why you're investing in this part or not this, this other area. And they your narrative. Clarity. Super your clear. narrative. Yeah. It's your, clar your clarity. They just love it. You know, I mean, I've just, that's what works. And um, of course, you know, given that your numbers are looking good, you know, but, but uh, the narrative is important. 
yeah and and the good way now is is to introduce the um, ingredient number three which is the contrarian culture of um, execution and it, it's still related with what we are discuss what we have discussing now on, on on radical focus um which is the importance of doing the ceo at exercise of having everyone get out of their marketing sales customer success product boxes and gets mm -hmm. to think about the company together and i think that this calibration uh this negotiation this communication uh, it is super super important to execute because we can only execute what we are clear about as, as you were saying before mm -hmm. at the same time understanding where the the, the industry is going to where the mm -hmm. company wants to position in that direction and that's why i talk about the contrarian culture of execution because sometimes it's we need to follow inter uh, or counterintuitive paths to um, to get there in, in that way, what are the meeting rhythms that you use to, to align uh, everyone, to track progress, to, 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 to make decisions? So what are some of the rhythms that are more um, important for you? Yeah, I, I think that um, I'm really glad you're bringing this up. I, I, I believe that, um, and it's often oddly marketing that brings outside intelligence, um, whether it's the product marketing team with competitors or um, mm -hmm. analyst relations, bringing in sort of feedback, um, obviously customer success, you know, from customers, there, there are a lot of data points that float around. And where I see companies sort of fall down is that um, no one person is responsible for rolling up all of those insights into something that is educational for the entire team. Um, so I, I firmly believe that besides the big think, which we talked about, um, quarterly yeah. sit downs where we where we look at the data that's coming in from um, a few different areas. So as I said, competitors, um, analysts, you know, press, customers, sales cycle, um, and, and really come to agreement amongst the teams of what's happening. Do we need to change? Should we stay the course? Um, you know, do we need to stop growing so quickly? I mean, that actually has right. been happening lately where companies set very ambitious revenue goals and then they've come back and said, you know what, actually that's just too fast. We can't keep up. Oh, we can't mm -hmm. hire fast enough, all of that. So, so I think that quarterly check-in is important. Um, and, and it's, um, often that uh, there, when you have, let's say you you say, look, we need to bring in you know X number of leads or whatever, or in in this particular industry, or we need to win every every leading company in this category. I, it, it provides you time to say, is that the right thing to do? Is that sort of a myopic initiative? Right. Should we win the top three in four different categories and not win all 12 you know i mean it is, it, i'm just sort of speaking anecdotally right. a little bit and in loose terms but um you know asking the hard questions as a team now again this goes back to a a, a leader and a ceo who can facilitate that and build um trust amongst all of the teams um that that's one thing that i think gets really um that I, I see fall down a lot in growth stage companies is that mm -hmm. the, the pace is so fast. Um, everyone is protective of their area. They're afraid. They're, they're, they're not sure what's coming around the corner. And the CEO is also afraid because he or she is just dying to make that number. And they, they don't feel like it's worth their time to take a pause and, and assess or they're right. in denial. Like, you know, well, our product is better than the competitor. We don't, you know, we haven't looked, 
Like, look at your competitors. What are they doing? Is there anything innovative they're doing? Should you be doing that? Talk to your customers. Have that customer advisory board meeting. Like, take the time. Because if you don't, you'll be in that situation where you're you know, just scrambling to get the next round of funding or missing your numbers um, because you just don't have all the insights. That's, that's amazing. I, I subscribe everything that you said, and I will not add anything to that. So. <laughs> well, you know, and then that's the quarter. Like, I mean, this is, this is about being real with our, ourselves. But, you know, and even then, like, even in the tiny daily, weekly, you know, are your, if you've determined that you need to hit these, these little numbers to make sure the bigger numbers happen look at those too just it's like it's like um try going on a diet and never getting on the scale i think i'm losing weight i don't know you know that's the kind of you know so we have to be real with ourselves uh, as as leaders what what a great way um to get to the last question of the show and one of our favorites uh, let's see if you can pass the test oh, all right. <laughs> and and the question is if you'd have the opportunity to to meet allison let's say uh before you join social chorus or even your vertu um mm -hmm. so what advice would you offer to your younger self to allison well yeah i i've, I've thought of three things in here. Um, the first thing I, I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to speak up. Um, even when you can't completely back up your question or your concern, um, or the view maybe seems unpopular, I think there are times where I've had a bad feeling about something and I just couldn't, I haven't figured out why. I don't mm -hmm. have all the data, but I just didn't say anything. I thought, you know, everybody else must see what I see. And Sadly, there were times where I was right on something and I, I you know, just like, and, it, and I just, I look back and I go, why didn't I say anything? I mean, what did I really have to lose? So I think it's okay to speak up and maybe someone else shares that view. And especially as a female and, you know, and often like the only female sitting in a room, um, we just <laughs> feel like, you know, maybe we're wrong or someone's going to criticize us. But honestly, you have nothing to lose except for maybe being wrong and then you learn something. So that, that's Absolutely. one. Um, I think the second one, it, it's a strength of mine, but it's also has been a failure in the past, which is um, I'm a problem solver. And sometimes that ability or that strength can lead to single mindedness about something, you know, winning mm -hmm. about above all or working until you're just like flat on your back because you're just so tired. Um, and right. I decided, you know, recently that I just I needed to stop doing that. I mean, there's just you know, just getting something done isn't really what it's all about. It's getting the right things done and making sure that you're pacing yourself um, and asking for help. I mean, people who want to solve problems, they're often a little bit more introverted. I, I am, even though I'm a big talker, obviously, I'm, I'm more on the introvert side. I like to figure out things, but, and I don't like to ask for help. And because I that means I haven't figured it out. So I'm changing that now because um, I don't know everything and I actually really want to learn um, how to do mm -hmm. things better. Um, and the third thing is, um, you know, just this point about communications, um, communicating bilaterally. And, and what I mean is that sometimes when you have an idea and you, you let's say you disagree, um, it's one, you know, there's kind of that one sided, I don't agree. And you've got to try to explain something to somebody that seems so obvious to you. But the, the thing is, it isn't <laughs> obvious because they have other concerns. So having that bilateral conversation about, okay, I need to understand where you're coming from. Here's how I see it. How do you see it? That 
that conversation, which can be difficult, it's important because then you never break, otherwise you never break through and you never actually get to the, the same direction together, which is really important for companies. You know, they talk about having walking meetings now and why, mm -hmm. because if you're walking in the same direction, you're likely to agree it, there's research behind that. And so I yeah. having a bilateral conversation is something that I would tell my younger self. This is an amazing way of closing the show because really communication, we have been discussing communication. So uh, how to have an amazing team that communicates well and that is all on the same page, that agrees on the focus and on the direction that they want for the company and that they get it done by working mm -hmm. together and by communicating again. So, yeah. so that's, that's a great way of, thank, thank you so much uh, for making the time, Alison, to share your experience with us. It's been my pleasure and it's, um, I hope it's helpful to people as they go through their uh, growth journeys. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And to the Scale Up community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing you the best of the best so you can leverage uh, their lessons and you can mitigate or avoid their mistakes. We keep here to bring you the best of the best to scale from 2 million ARR to 100 million ARR. See you soon and keep scaling.